across the city and South Cambridgeshire. This is Steffi Callister. Cambridge 105 Radio. Well, stay with us, Ben, because Dr. Sean Lang joins us in the studio. Thank you for coming in. <laughs> Let's welcome. start with Megxit, shall we? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Amazing how that word didn't exist a day ago. <laughs> yes, what do you think? Um, it's, it, I'm, I'm amazed at how big it's become um, be, and, and how impassioned I find people are. I mean, I, I'm only talking here about things I've sort of seen on social media or emails and things that I've seen friends uh, receive. But it does seem to uh, to arouse a lot of uh, a lot of very entrenched attitudes, because of, for whatever reason, and I have to say, I don't see what the problem is myself. But people do take against Meghan Markle. Um, I, I, it's very odd. I think the thing that struck me was that they didn't tell the Queen. Yes, no, I that, think that's that the most hurtful me. Yeah. thing of it all. And I think um, when you have people sort of wondering, is this sort of showing that the Queen is uh, sort of losing her grip? That because after all, this is you know it's been one thing after another, and of course it's not that long since the Prince Andrew um, uh, debacle, um, <laughs> whatever, one, whatever word one yes. looks for to describe that. Um, and the speed with which Buckingham Palace acted, uh, and it's quite extraordinary communicate, it was only a couple of lines, but basically um, slapping down that much longer message that had come out from the, uh, uh, from all oh, days after all, a royal couple. Um, I can't think of any time since the days of the Duke of Windsor, I suppose, that no. this sort of division... This is a kind of woke Absolutely, Wallace yeah. Simpson, isn't it? Right, exactly. Because, um, you know, obviously there have been all sorts of quarrels and things behind closed doors uh, among the royal family and, and tensions, but um, this sort of public slapping down um, is most unusual. I think as well, yeah. the fact they're saying they're going to spend their time between the UK and North America, and they're lecturing the rest of us about their CO2 yeah, footprint. Yes, yes. You know, it, it doesn't quite... I'm assuming they're not going by boat. <laughs> you never know. Um, but of course what they're trying to do, it seems to me, is to um, lead two different types of life and it's very difficult. I mean I was hearing all sorts of royal experts this morning on the radio talking about it and they, there was a pretty universal consensus, just a, just a one voice really which took a different view um, suggesting that uh, what they're trying to do probably isn't, isn't sustainable. That the trouble is you are either born into a royal handle or you marry into it and yes. that's it. You know. So and, for you example, and you tow the line. And you, well, you tow the line and you're stuck with that handle so that if, for example, you know, you set up a charity or a business, of course, after all, they want to be financially independent, which presumably means that they will then be free in the way that royals are and not. And will they be giving to, up Frogmore Cottage? Uh, I, I couldn't. They haven't told me. <laughs> they haven't told you. <laughs> they haven't told me. I know. It's dreadful, isn't it? Um, but, I mean, imagine the, the, company, the company they run go, you know, gets into financial difficulties or there's a, some sort of scandal or whatever. It's no longer just a commercial scandal. It becomes a royal one, even though they might have tried to distance themselves from the royal family and the royal branding, as it were. You can't get away from it. You know, he is Prince Harry. Um, so, uh, it, the you know, the consensus seems to be that what they're trying to do is, is ver certainly very difficult and may not be possible, but you never know. Um, we'll have to see. I think um, one thing that really struck me about now two of these um, circumstances that have hit the royal family mm. in Europe, Andrew and now um, Harry and Meghan, uh, it seems that these, these seem to come from a very rushed... Um, kind of an event, a rushed decision. So, for example, with um, Andrew, um, he kind of went straight into that um, Newsnight interview with Emily Maitlis, and that was something that apparently he hadn't really checked out before. And now, um, with what's going on with Harry and Meghan, 
it hadn't been checked out again. And so well, the PR is actually quite rushed about this. It seems to be What I understood so with, with, with the Prince Andrew one was that he, well, he actually had plenty of advice. He just chose to ignore it. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And um, just something I, I, know, I saw before setting out here um, suggested that the, uh, the Harry and Meghan story, although it's been uh, sort of landed on everyone without any warning, but something that they had been thinking about, and I suppose that's not, mm. not a great surprise, um, but it, it, what does strike me, though, is the speed with which the uh, the crown, as it were, has res- responded in each case today, and of course, then effectively sacking Prince Andrew yeah. um, pretty ruthlessly. Mm. And I haven't actually at the time realised, though I think I do now, the significance of those photos of the the line of succession of the Queen, Prince Charles, Prince William Absolutely. and Prince George. Uh, you know, the two of them, because he's now got longer trousers yeah. on. Um, but that is the streamlined royal family that Prince Charles has talked about in front of you. And of course, once you've got a photograph, it can begin to ingrain itself on the public um, consciousness. And, and so effectively, I think we are looking at a, a move towards a much, much more streamlined um, monarchy in which these outer royals and e- even someone like Prince Harry is is now of course an outer royal because he's you know he's got there's a whole line of succession if we can just him. if we can just move on the subject slightly um are we going to see World War three started on Twitter <laughs> <laughs> well that's two questions isn't it <laughs> World War three and if so on Twitter the Twitter thing actually is quite possible um in a, in a strange way, because I sort of think back to telegrams back in the day, you know, back in the history, mm. when, uh, yes, indeed, you did have war started by telegrams. Um, and so that the, the medium of the message can be uh, immediately uh, important. As for what on earth is going on, um, again, it's been, I'm not, I'm not claiming to be one of these instant experts on Iran who have been, who've been sprouting up all over the place on Twitter, <laughs> suddenly everyone knows all about it. Mm. Um, but what uh, it does strike me is that it's, there's a sort of contradiction in Trump's um, strategy if strategy is what he has because he has after all presented himself as the president who's going to end all these foreign wars that his predecessors had sort of got him Mm. into bring the boys home which is always a very popular line uh, in 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 the states and um and yet you still do this uh this act now i'm not going to make a judgment as to whether or not it's a good idea i can can understand why one understands that both previous administrations certainly considered it and in the end decided it was too risky and okay he's he's done it um one thing i think we can be certain of is that this apparent sort of uh immediate response and then it's all over which people seem to be talking about is, is very very short term yeah uh, you know this i think the iranians are, are in this for, a, for the long haul <clears throat> but i think myself what we're looking at is, is posturing we've got an election coming up and we've got an impeachment hearing coming mm. up and just as clinton i uh, managed to take attention off his impeachment diversion by, by diversion, diversion. by, uh, <laughs> by uh, launching the, the bombing raid in kosovo um you know i think yeah. we've got some something of the same here I wanted to look at it from a more um, from our like parliamentary mm. perspective. Um, how much influence do you think that we realistically have um, with Iran at the moment? Because I think we've been trying to bring them back into the. Um, I think they've tried to back out of the denuclearization mm. deal yeah. since Trump pulled out of it. Yeah. Uh, and or is there anything else that Boris can really do other than join voices to kind of scale down? Well, the interesting thing with Boris is that once he came back from holiday, um, (laughs) (coughs) that he hasn't done the sort of Tony Blair shoulder to shoulder with the states line. Uh, Yes, he's he's clearly made it, you know, he's made it clear that that the United Kingdom stands uh, on the same side as the United States. And he's talked about uh, British, you know, British soldiers blood on um, 
on Iranian hands, that's, that sort of thing. Yes, the rhetoric is there, and it's quite clear, broadly speaking, where he stands. But he hasn't taken the sort of uh, um, pugnacious line that one might have expected. Um, in fact, Boris seems to have, he's been strangely quiet, mm. actually. Since I think it's quite a good thing. Yeah, yeah I, I think, think it's, it's, I think it's quite thing, a good yes. thing from, from our country's <coughs> yeah. perspective. Mm. And I think he's showing himself a little bit more grown up than he appeared yeah. during the election campaign. Yeah. Um, which is a very good thing, because since we have a, a president who doesn't appear very grown up. Whenever I, whenever I see these tweets, I just think, thank God he doesn't drink. <laughs> <laughs> Though, having said that, his uh, uh, news conference today, um, and I'm not saying he was drinking, just that uh, his, his delivery was so very unlike him, very slurred and, and slow and hesitant, um, that you, know, you just do wonder quite what <laughs> what's going on there. Do you think that maybe this behaviour is coming from almost increased pressure on Boris when you start to put Boris and Iran together like Nazanin Zagari Ratcliffe and his kind of his blunder into that maybe he's I think that is certainly one of those uh, once bitten twice shy things and the other thing is the lesson of Tony Blair that uh, Tony Blair was the last Prime Minister to get elected with a massive great majority and uh, he had a huge amount of goodwill, far more goodwill, general goodwill I think than than Boris Boris has from his supporters but not from his opponents Um, and all of that was squandered by by Tony Blair simply making this elementary mistake of simply allowing himself to be led along by an American president who was determined to, Mm -hmm. in in that case of course to fight a war in the Middle East and, and Tony Blair just linked himself with it. Now that's an object lesson in how to throw away your whole inheritance. Look at the way Labour regard their most successful Prime Minister of the post-war mm. era nowadays. They want nothing Abs- to do with it. Absolutely. And the answer is, you know, the reason is Iraq. <clears throat> and, and Johnson um, doesn't want to make that sort of mistake, it seems to me. You know, and, I have pictures you know. in the house of myself with Tony Blair and my children say, you have to take those down, Mother. It's a war criminal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is remarkable. Um, and when he has spoken, I thought, you know, perfectly good sense about the Labour Party leadership, for example, um, they won't want to hear, you know, it's, it's yeah. just toxic. So, yes, I think that's that's um, an awful lesson. And, and we know that, you know, from Cameron's time onwards, that they did study Tony Blair's career very, very carefully yeah. in, the, in the Tory party. What to avoid. Yeah. Dr. Sean Lang, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Cambridge 1.